Well, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everyone watching online. Good to have you guys with us as well. And uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Pastor Jeff. If I haven't met you yet, I haven't uh, been around the last few weeks. So if you've come to Grace in the last few weeks, I'd love to meet you after service. Or if you just haven't been around and said hi to me, it always cracks me up that people will come up. This just happened last service. They came up and with repentant and broken spirit said, as we've come here for three years and never said hi to you. And I said, I love you. I forgive you. Get out of my church. And so, <clears throat> no, but I, I would love to meet you. I'd love to shake your hand and connect with you a little bit if I haven't uh, got to do that. Uh, Heidi and I got to uh, run around a little bit. We went on a vacation, which was a blast. We may or may not have jumped off a mountain with a parachute. It's just kind of a rumor that's out there. Uh, but we had a great time. But actually, I've been home for a while uh, the last uh, several weeks. And what I've been doing is running around to our other campuses. Uh, so I have the privilege of, of uh, being the senior pastor of Grace Church and overseeing all of our campuses. Uh, Grace has seven of them. And it's been fun to uh, just see what God is doing all through throughout Grace Church. The big vision of Grace is, we call it 30 and 30, and it's our desire to start 30 campuses. When I say campus, think of it as a church plant. So to start 30 churches in a 30-year window, and right now we have seven of those campuses. We have five here in the Akron area and two down in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's just absolutely a blast to see uh, God working all throughout Grace. Uh, our work's down in Atlanta, Georgia. If you were part of the Seed Project, uh, that was a work that we invested in real heavily and to start a, a multi-ethnic church plant down there where there's millions of people who have immigrated into Georgia legally, and God is just working there in a great way. Uh, our, two, our team down there just landed on the ground four months ago. It's a long process to kind of get people down into a mission field, so to say. So about four months ago, they, they started there in earnest. And uh, just over the 4th of July weekend, they had a picnic and they had over 70 people at it. So just imagine like going on the street and like meeting people cold turkey and inviting them and getting to know them. So that represents those people. So God in just a, a short period of time is working there in a great, great way. And we're very excited about what the Lord is doing there. Uh, we're about ready to multiply <clears throat> and start a second work there. So thank you for your investment, and we're encouraged with that. We also have a suburban campus down in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Marietta area. It's at Town Center. Excited about what God's doing there. They have been on a transition process, be kind of becoming Grace Church over the last uh, few months, and we will relaunch them uh, in September. So be praying for them. That, uh, that God would work through there, and we're excited about that work as well. And then uh, here in Akron last weekend, I was out at Ellet. Uh, Ellet is doing terrific. Again, that's a seed project effort. And so a bunch of your friends uprooted from Grace and went out to Ellet, especially if you're part of the extension, you would have known a bunch of those folks. And uh, God is working there in a great way. They're meeting in Springfield High School right now. Uh, they already run a couple hundred people on the weekend and seeing folks come to Christ and come out of the community. So that's very exciting what God is doing there. Uh, I went out to Medina on my world tour of Grace Church and spoke at our uh, Medina East campus a few weekends ago. That was a blast. Uh, Pastor Tony and the team, uh, that that. Uh, campus launched out of Bath about four and a half years ago. They're already running over a thousand people. So it's just incredible what God is doing there and blessing in tremendous ways. Uh, got down to Barberton. Barberton runs about uh, 300 or so, which is a it's the largest church in Barberton. So just tremendous things that God is doing there. Jeff Martell is doing a fantastic job in that work there. Uh, Norton is thriving with Pastor Dan, and Bath is thriving. And so it, it's fun. I, I wish I could take everybody with me on these tours to see kind of the full breadth of what God's doing through Grace Church. We're all one church, and we all invest in each other. And, and a lot of your friends who used to be here are there. We've had 1,400 people leave the Bath campus and go and help start these other campuses over the last few years. So if you're new here at Bath, you're in the majority and so it's fun to go and see those old friends. Uh, most of them, some of them I didn't like. I was really glad they left. But, but most of them, uh, it, it's fun and to see how God is, is working there. I'm also excited to let you guys know that Grace is working on starting our eighth 
campus. Uh, so our Norton campus is in the process. They, they've raised the, the vision and the, the capital, a lot like our seed project, they did that too, and are preparing the people to start uh, our, our, the Sterling campus of Grace Church. Now, if you don't know where Sterling is, if you go to like Seville and Creston and like get lost, you'll find Sterling back. You're kind of careful you're past it. So it's just this little town there, uh, but there was a, a church there that closed down. They gave us their building and uh, appreciated that resource. We kind of did our homework before we said yes to all that and found that we actually have uh, a couple hundred families that come from that area. And so really believe that God was drawing us there. So we're beginning to organize those families, organize like the finances and stuff like that, and then looking for a campus pastor of the Sterling campus. And our Norton campus will take the lead on that. So we're excited about that. This will be the, the, uh, the third campus that they launch. So they started Bath, they started Barberton, they started Sterling, which means they're beating us, which means we will conquer them in the next two years. But that's another conversation. Uh, we got a little friendly rivalry going in a good way. So we're really excited about that. Uh, so the end of 2017, probably more the beginning of 2018, the eighth campus or the eighth church plan of Grace Church will open up and uh, be a part of that. But it was, it was a blast uh, to be away. It's a blast to go see all that God's doing, and it's fun. I always love coming home and, and being back with you guys. I missed most of you, um, but it, it's fun to, uh, to be back here and hang out with you guys a little bit. And I'm going to jump in on this conversation that Pastor Ryan and Pastor Joe have laid out for us as all the feels, and we're going to finish that conversation up this weekend. This, this conversation, this series, is about our emotions, and basically what we're, we're saying is this, our emotions are like every aspect of our life, our emotions are to be brought under the definition and the direction of Christ, right? So if you're a Christ follower, we, we, Christ followers begin and end with Jesus. So we look, whatever Jesus says or does is what we want to emulate in our life and what we believe and what we want the outcome of our life to be. If you're not a Christ follower yet and, and you're, you're thinking about Jesus or thinking about what it means to, to, to be a follower of Jesus, that little piece of information is a big thing that will make, make people make sense to you. So, so real Christians are obsessed with Jesus and what He teaches and what He wants and what He believed in and what He gave His life to. We want to do that too, right? So if you're thinking about becoming a Christ follower, that's kind of the person to zero in on is who is Jesus and what, what was he like, what was his heart and his mind. So when we think about our emotions, whether it's anxiety or depression or loneliness is what we're going to talk about this weekend, what, what we want to do is we always want to go back to Christ and say, well, what does Christ say? What is the truth of Christ? What, what, is, what does Christ lay out in the Bible is where we would get that information from. And then we want to know that and we we want to take all of our life and bring it to Jesus so that even our emotions are, are lined up with Him, okay? So this weekend, we're going we're gonna to finish the series up by talking about loneliness and how do we make loneliness or bring loneliness even to Jesus. So loneliness is a weird thing, isn't it? Uh, because loneliness is a thing that usually you go through in a season. So there's times that we feel lonely. And sometimes we feel lonely for five minutes, and sometimes we feel lonely for uh, an extended period of time. It just kind of depends. But being lonely, actually, it actually has nothing to do with your circumstances. Isn't that weird? So you can be making more money than you've ever made in your life and feel lonely. Uh, you, can, you can be at the peak of, of your career, and you can be a movie star or a rock star and feel lonely. You can be at the bottom of life and everything is blown up and you can have that same emotion of loneliness. You can, you can be married and be lonely. You can have a great marriage and be lonely. You can have a terrible marriage and feel lonely. You can have a ton of friends and feel lonely. You can be in a room full of people and feel lonely. You can be all by yourself and feel lonely. You can be totally involved at the church and feel lonely. You can be totally uninvolved at the church and feel lonely. Loneliness is one of those emotions that it really has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has more to do of what we're feeling. When we feel like we're not understood, when we feel like somebody's not sympathetic to our pain, when, 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 we, when we 
feel like somebody has turned their back on us, that emotion of loneliness will, will strike in our, in our heart, okay? Now, what we've been saying about emotions is this. Emotions are actually God-given. So there's nothing wrong with emotions. Emotions is not a sin. Uh, emotions is, is not even really a temptation. God wired us. He created us with emotions. Emotions, all they are, are something that needs to be subject to Christ, defined and directed by Jesus. So when I'm trying to process my emotions, what I have to do is I have to go to Jesus. I have to go to the Bible, is how we would say it. And I have to look and say, well, what does God actually say about this given area of my life, right? And we want to do that with, with loneliness. I love the way Pastor Ryan said it. He, he laid this down in his first conversation. He said this, he said, there's real pain in life, there's a real God in pain, and there's a real life in God. Isn't that great? There's real pain in life, there's a real uh, uh, God in pain, and there's a real life in God. You should probably get a tattoo of that, at least tweet it, but you should do something with it. There, there's real pain in life, a real God in pain, and there's a real life in God. So pain, emotional pain, is a part of our life. It, it, all of us have it. But there is a real God that is with us and wants to be invited into the middle of that pain. And that real God is the antidote to that pain. He's the solution to it because there's a real life in God. And in the context of loneliness, that is extremely true. So when we start talking about loneliness and kind of what do we do and how we respond to loneliness, first, let's talk about God okay? And let's figure out what God has to say about this aspect of our life. So, here's a great verse for you, a great passage, Second Corinthians chapter 10, big deal. Paul is talking, he says, he says, we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Big, big important verse. I encourage you to really lock into that. We, we demolish every argument, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, sets itself up. Another way to say that would be like the truth of God. So every argument, every philosophy, every kind of position I put myself in that is counter, we would say it today, to the Bible. It's counter to the truth of God. We want to take that out of our life. We want to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So there's certain philosophies in the world, there's certain philosophies in your family, and there's certain philosophies in your brain that we have, emotions can be this way, we'll have an emotion, we wanna take that and say, is it lined up with God? I wanna capture that thought. I wanna look then and say, well, what does God actually say is true and real, and how do I align those things with God, right? So I'm always looking for the heart and the mind of God. So let me give you a, a, a couple of easy examples. So for instance, uh, sex is an easy one. There's a, there's a philosophy about sex in our world. There's a philosophy about morality in our world. There's also that philosophy in your family, what was permissible or not, how mom and dad lived. And then you have an internal opinion about that too, what you think is acceptable and not. So what Paul would say is, these philosophies are out there, capture that, go to a knowledge of God. What does God actually say about sex, purity, morality, sex outside of marriage, all those kind of things? And take your opinion and make it subject or obedient to God and then live off of what God actually says. Okay? It's a big deal. So I'm going to take that, I'm going to make it subject or obedient to God, and then live off of that. Another one would be money, right? So money. Uh, there, there's a philosophy about money in our world. There's a philosophy about money that you were raised with, and then you have a personal opinion about money. Okay? So things like this. Here's, here's a worldly philosophy. My money is mine. That's a worldly philosophy. My money is mine. So I would look and say, is that true? I'm going to take that philosophy. I'm going to capture it. I'm going to go to God. What does God say? Well, God says something very different. God says actually everything belongs to Him. Your money is God's. So we do then, we operate then off of what God says about money. Don't love it. 
Those who are rich, make sure that those who are poor have what they need, live generously, build the kingdom, tithing, all that kind of stuff. Instead of just doing whatever I think or feel how I was raised, what does God say? I'm going to capture it. And there's all kinds of philosophies like that, right? So Michigan football is legitimate football. Like that's out there. You're going to capture that, (laughs) right? Bring it to God. Jesus loves the Buckeyes. And then you love the Buckeye. See how that works? So it, it's that kind of a thing. So whatever is false out there, I'm going to lock in, right? And I'm going to take from there. Now, in this issue of loneliness, what would God say? What does he say about these kind of things? So for instance, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, God says this, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, he will never leave you nor forsake you, right? So what does God say about what is true? Uh, go, the Lord will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That's the truth. I, I might feel this way. I take it captive, bring it to God. What does God actually say the truth is? What's he act? I feel like God walked away from me. I feel like God doesn't care. I feel like God doesn't listen. But what's the truth I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the apostle Paul uh, was writing and kind of talking about a lonely time in his life. He said this, at my first defense, he was on trial. At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. Uh, May not be held against him, but the Lord stood by my side. Everybody deserted me, but actually I wasn't deserted. The Lord stood by my side and he goes on, and he gave me strength so that through, uh, through me the message might be fully proclaimed, all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. So, so Paul is saying, listen, here's the truth of what God's like. He won't leave me. He won't forsake me. He actually stood by me, and he strengthens me. That's the truth of what God is actually like, right? Jesus uh, talks to this issue a little bit in Matthew, uh, and he says this in Matthew tw- uh, 28. This is say- he's saying this to the, the whole, to the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's saying this directly to you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says, hey, by the way, if you're a, if you're a follower of mine, a Christ follower, I'm with you always right? And we could go on and on. We could spend the weekend doing this. We we could look through the scripture. uh, God is my refuge and my strength. He is my hiding place. He is my defender. Uh, Vengeance is his. He's my loving, protective father. He, I hide under his wing. He's my caring, nurturing mother, like that feminine side. He, he, He will go with me in all things. He will cause justice to happen even when unjust things have happened to me. And we go on and on and on about the truths of what God is like and what our relationship with him actually is. So when I think about my emotions, I I need to look and say, I know I feel this way. I want to capture it. What does God actually say? And then what God actually says is what governs my life. I wrote it this way in my notes. I said, while our emotions are real, they're not always true. That's a big deal. While While my emotions are real, they're not always true. We could look and say, but Jeff, I feel lonely. And I would look and say, I know, man, I feel lonely too sometimes. Absolutely, that's, that's true. That, 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 that's real that you feel lonely. I feel anxiety. That is so true that you would feel that. I feel fa- fear. That is so true. It, it's real that you would feel that, right? I feel lonely. My emotions are real, but are they true? I feel lonely, but am I alone? It's a different question. I feel lonely, but did the Lord leave me and forsake me? Is he not standing by my side and strengthening me? Did Jesus lie when he said, I will be with you always? So while our emotions are real, they're not always true. I take the thought captive and then I operate off of what is true. Now, this is incredibly important, okay? Because when we think about our emotions, if we don't bring them under God's definition and direction, they mess us up. So one of, the, one of the very positive things in our culture is that our culture has taught us to be in touch with our emotions. And by the way, I think by and large, it's a very good thing. 
I think it's a very good thing to kind of know why I feel the way that I feel. I think it's a very good thing to express herself. I think it's a very good thing to like know how my relationship with my dad helped me or hurt me, all that kind of stuff. So that, that's a part of our culture. We've kind of been raised that way to be in touch with our emotions. What can happen, though, is if I don't bring those emotions under God's definition and direction, I'll go all the way to the end of the Disney logic, right? So you know what Disney logic is? Disney logic is this. Trust your heart. Trust your heart, and everything will work out in the end. You, before any... Ignore logic and reason and, like, being an adult, and just, like, trust your heart. And if you trust your heart, that's what's best, right? That is terrible advice. That's why you only hear it in cartoons. It's terrible advice, right? I would say to you, don't trust your heart. Don't trust your feelings because they're liars. Your feelings lie. Trust your heart. That's kind of what you did on your first marriage. It was a bad decision, wasn't it? It's what you did on that financial deal, and it did not work out. Can you believe it? It, it, It's what you did when when you made that life decision that was a terrible decision. It's what you did when you thought you were going to be in love with that guy forever in high school. Those are that's a terrible thing to do to trust your heart because your emotions will lie to you. It doesn't mean they're not real. It might mean they're not true. And the only way to find out if they're true is to take it captive and make it subject to Christ, right? What does Jesus say? What decisions would Jesus have us to make? And that's what governs and directs me. I don't trust my heart. I trust the truth of God's Word, and that's what I want to govern me. I have to capture my emotions, my thoughts, and make them subject to Him, okay? Now, what I want to do is I want to show you how this works in the Bible by showing, I want to introduce you to three different guys, okay? And I want to look at their biographies a little bit and show you these three different guys. What you're going to find out with these three guys is that they're, they're, they have very human emotions. I bet you'll recognize yourself in them, okay? And when you, when you see them in the Bible, they're going through these human emotions that are real, And then what happens is you'll see them kind of make them subject to God, and you'll see how God interacts with them. And since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can kind of see ourselves in these guys. We can see how God would interact with us too, maybe what He would say to us, and it'll show us how to take those things captive and make them subject to Christ, okay? So these three guys. First guy I want to introduce you to is a guy named Elijah, a guy named Elijah, okay? So let me tell you a little bit about Elijah. Here's Elijah's deal. Elijah was a prophet. So in the Old Testament especially, uh, the Bible wasn't written yet, okay? Not, they had parts of the Bible, but not the whole complete inerrant authoritative Word of God that we have. So the Bible wasn't written yet. So what God would do is He would interact with people, men and women, who were prophets or prophetesses, and He would say something directly to them, and then He would say, I want you to go on my behalf and say this to other people so that they know what's on my heart and my mind. And Elijah was one of those guys. He was a prophet, okay? Now, in this time in the Bible, he was not the only prophet. There was a bunch of prophets. And there was a, the nation of Israel was rebelling against God. God spoke to his prophets, Elijah being one of them, and said, hey, I want you to go to the king, and I want you to go to the queen, and I want you to tell them that they're rebelling against me, they're worshiping these false gods, and they don't knock it off, there's going to be judgment on them. So the prophets went, and they told the king and the queen, and it did not go well at all, okay? Especially the queen had issues. So the queen really freaked out. The king kind of got led around by her, and she killed all the prophets. She had them executed. And the only one that survived was Elijah at this point. So Elijah is lonely. He's lonely because he feels abandoned. He's lonely because he feels betrayed. It was the role of the prophets, and the king and queen knew this. It was the role of the prophets for them to speak on God's behalf. So he felt betrayed by the king and the queen. He felt abandoned. He's all by himself. Life is miserable. It's not going well at all. And he has a deep loneliness on the verge of a depression and I want you to see how God interacts with him. So in your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 19, page 247 in those Bibles in the chairs if you want to use those. Page 247, or you can use the app on the phone. The notes will be there. All right, and let's just, let's just hear some of Elijah's 
emotions. Verse 3, chapter 19, 1 Kings, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life, right? Uh, dropped down. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. So this is Elijah. He is spent. You ever been spent? You ever been afraid? You ever feel alone in that? He goes, he tells the Lord, I have had enough. You ever say that to God? I've had enough. I've had enough of this, this failing marriage. I've had enough of this financial pressure. I've had enough of fighting this addiction. I've, I've had enough of high school. I've had enough of my friends freaking out. I've, ha I've had enough of these pressures. I am exhausted. People have betrayed me. I feel abandoned. By the way, where are you, big guy? Why aren't you coming through? You're the one who made me go talk to him. I've had enough, and he's suicidal. I just want to die. So Elijah's in a bad place, right? He's spent He's lonely, he's depressed, he's discouraged. The journey continues, and he winds out out in the middle of the wilderness in a cave all by himself. And you pick the story up at the end of verse 10, and he says this, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I am, all, I am the only one that understands my pain, and I am all by myself. God, I am am done. Now, I love this, right? Verse 11. God interacts with Elijah. He says this, verse 11, the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So I want you to get this image. He's all by himself. He's isolated in this cave. He's done. God speaks to him, says, Elijah, come out, get out of the cave. I, I want you to go and, and I want you to stand on the mountain, go out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Okay, now, let me, let me show you something. This passage, verse 11, the Old Testament, a big chunk of it, was originally written in Hebrew. And then a lot of times what happened is we, we would translate it from Hebrew to Greek and from Greek to English. That's so we could read it, right? So if you jump back through into those original languages and you read that verse in Hebrew, it would sound like this. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain and face the Lord, for he is about to pass by. Catch that? Go out and stand on the mountain and face the Lord, for he's about to pass by. If I brought that phrase forward into our modern North American vernacular, we would say it this way, go out and stand on the mountain and look me in the eye. I'm about to pass by. Look the Lord in the eye is the way we would say it. I'm about to pass by. You ever say that to somebody? You ever say, look me in the eye? Or have somebody say that. Just look me in the eye, right? You ever say that when your kids are little? Like, like when, it, when, when your kids are little, and they, they'll come in, they like have a bad dream, they come in at night. When my kids were little, they'd come in at night, they'd always wake me up, because Heidi, when you startle her, she wakes up, she speaks Portuguese, the kids can't understand what she's saying. So, so they would come in, they're like, they're like, mommy, and she's like, la, 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 la. like, daddy, you know, so they, they just come and they'd wake me up, and they, they would be all freaked out. I had a bad dream, and there's a monster under the bed, and I dreamt we got transferred to Michigan, and all that kind of horrible stuff, and, and I was you, trying to calm them down, you're like, honey, it's okay, or they don't even recognize you, because, you, you know, you hear them crying, you go, they, they wake up, they don't recognize you. And I've said to my kids, I'd be like, honey, look, look me in the eye. Look at me. Look at me. It's okay. It's me, right? I've said that to friends before. Nobody loves me and my life is miserable. I'm done with my marriage. And, and I, I, I've said, look at, I, I, look at me. It's me. What are you talking about? The church is a jerk. What, I, the church, what are you, it's me. What are you talking about? We're friends. Look me in the eye. You ever say that to somebody? That's what God is saying to Elijah. He's, Elijah, wait a minute. I'm done. I've had it. Kill me. Look at, look at me. This is me, right? Go out and stand on, that, on the mountain. Look me in the eye. I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you. Now, it's fascinating then how God talked to him. So Elijah goes out and does that. Look at verse 11. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, right? Uh, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper 
And when Elijah heard it, he heard from the Lord. He started to interact with the Lord. It's fascinating, right? When I'm lonely and I'm depressed and I'm discouraged, I am done. And we all get there, don't we? I am done, finished, cooked, right? God would look at you and say, listen, take the thought captive and bring it to me. It's me. Look me in the eye, right? Because I want to say something to you. Now, this is what happens. When I'm in pain and I want God to do something, I want him to do something big. Bring on the hurricane. Bring on the earthquake. Bring on the firestorm. Change my circumstances big, right? I remember being a kid, and when I, I was 12, my dad had a stroke, and I would go to school, and all my friends would be talking about doing stuff with their dad. My dad couldn't do anything. It was, it was a very, very lonely feeling. Like nobody understood what I was going through is how I, I felt. So I would pray about it. I'd be like, Lord, I, I, I feel alone. I feel kind of scared. If you could do something big in my life, I'd be, Lord, if you could make me the most popular kid in this school, I want to rule junior high, right? If you could do that, then I got no hurricane. Lord, if you can make me a superior athlete, everybody loves the athlete, right? And I just want to make the basketball team, the football team, and God never did that for me. Lord, if you can make me beautiful, he did that. I'm grateful. <laughs> it's a burden sometimes, but I'm grateful for it. But Lord, when we were in pain, we went out of it, right? Lord, take the, give me 50 friends now, right? I went out of this pain. I remember in high school, later on in high school and in early college, I, I, I remember especially when I went to college, everybody was falling in love because every college freshman falls in love with the other college freshman, right? It's just the way that it works. And so I'm looking around. I'm like, I want to I be in love. I want to be in love, right? And so I'm like, Lord, I want to meet somebody. I want to meet somebody. I'm not meeting anybody. And so I'd pray. I'd be like, Lord, I want, I want an earthquake, hurricane, fire. So I'm like, do something. I'll tell you what. And I would, I would pray. I'd pray prayers like this all the time. Lord, prove to me that you're true and I will follow you. So, Lord, I'm going to go down this path at night, and the next, the first woman I meet, I'm going to take as a sign from you that she's to be my wife. So I'd walk down the path, and I saw like a woman, you know, a silhouette coming at me, and then I was like, Mom, what are you, what are you doing here? This is really awkward, you know, right? But you want, you want something big, right? You want something huge. You're like, make it go away. And God looks at Elijah and he says, listen to me, come out here. Look me in the eye, right? I'm going to gently whisper to you who I am. We need to look for the reminders of God's heart when we're lonely. And they're probably not going to be big. They're probably going to be gentle whispers. The dark times in my life, I know that's what God has done for me. It's been, the, it's been a memory. It's been a friend, right, that calls me out of the blue, reminds me that we're friends. Somebody who has helped me, served me, a, a gift, a passage of Scripture. I remember uh, after my mom and dad died, it, it, this is going to sound a little weird. God used a dog. He spoke to me through a dog. Like the dog never spoke to me. That would be weird. The elders would be involved. But God, God, like, God used a part of his creation, the beauty of it, like a sunset, a mountain, a beach. This dog, man, I, I, had, to, I had to clean my parents' house out. It was the most lonely time to do that. Clean the house out after the divorce. Clean the dorm room out after you graduate from college. It's a lonely, lonely time. And this dumb dog, his name was Briggs. I got so attached to this dumb dog because that dog would jump in the truck with me on the way to Goodwill. That dog would sit with me in the garage. That God used a part of his creation to remind me that he loved me. See, the dog didn't do anything weird. It was a whisper from God. See, now, this isn't mystical or freaky. The Bible says every good and perfect thing comes from above, but God's going to whisper that to you. He's not going to scream it at you in a hurricane. But when you look around and hear those whispers, you're going to look and say, oh, that's right. I feel alone capture 
but God never leaves me or forsakes me. He's always by my side. He will strengthen me in this moment. See how that works? Another guy I want to introduce you to is a guy named Jeremiah. So if you go to the right in your Bible, you'll come to a big book of the Bible that's named after Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet also, but he had a little bit of a different gig than Elijah did. He was also to go to the nation of Israel specifically and like tell them that they were walking away from God and they needed to connect with God. But Jeremiah wasn't abandoned or betrayed. Jeremiah was alone and felt lonely because he was the only one. God actually created him to go stand up for God and to proclaim his, mat- his message to people. But he told Jeremiah all the way through, he's like, you're always going to kind of do this by yourself. You are going to be the only one that, that goes and does this. You're going to stand by yourself a lot. Look at his story in Jeremiah chapter 1. It's page seven, or 522 in your Bibles there in the chairs. Jeremiah chapter 1, you start to get a sense of it. Here it is, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me. It's Jeremiah writing. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? And then Jeremiah kind of saw and described his life's mission that God was sending him on. And then God comes back to him in verse 17, and he says this, get yourself ready, Jeremiah, stand up, say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified uh, by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. God looks at Jeremiah and says, I actually formed you to do what I've called you to do, and you're going to go wherever I tell you to go, and you're going to say whatever I command you to say, and you're going to kind of do it by yourself. But I never leave you or forsake you. I will stand beside you. I will strengthen you. I will empower you. Sometimes we feel lonely because we're standing alone. And God says, in those moments, I will empower you. I, I listen to my whispers. I'm, all, I'm with you. See me. See, hear all this encouragement. See me. And then remember, take the thought captive. You're not alone. You feel alone, you're, but you're not really alone because I won't leave you, forsake you, with you always. I will stand with you. I will empower you to do what I've called you to do. Guys, listen, there is no lonelier place in our lives than when we are the only one. When we're the only one in our family who follows Christ. When we're the only one in our dorm that's not sleeping around when we're the only one of our friends that isn't partying, when we're the only one at work who, who, who won't take everybody to the strip joint to get the contract, when, when, when we're the only one on our team who is committed to being a Christ follower and we're not going to go to the parties that they have after the game, when, when we're the only one, there is, there is no place more lonely than when you're the only one. Because when you're the only one and you're saying whatever the Lord said and doing whatever the Lord commands, ooh, you better be ready for the heat. You better be ready for the heat because people will look at you, they will judge you, they will accuse you, but you're called. You're brought out to do this very work. I'll never forget when Heidi and I were praying about starting the church, 
um, I went and I talked to my brother. My brother's older than I am. He's old, really old, significantly old, <laughs> like old. Like he has a disease, it's called old. And so I went to him. He's 14 years older than I am, but he's been a pastor his whole adult life also. So he actually has a lot of ministry miles. I actually love him and respect him a ton. And so I went and I said, hey, Davey, this is what I'm thinking about doing and told him about the church and where and why and what and all that kind of thing. And, and he was excited about it and prayed with us and gave me some great counsel. I'll never forget, we were walking out of his house and on, on the way out of the door, he said to me, he goes, Jeff, if you're going to do this, you better be prepared to be alone. I thought, that's a, it struck me. I was like, that's a weird thing that you would say. Jeff, if you're going to do this, you better be prepared to be alone. I had no idea what he was talking about until we started to do what God called us to do and started grace. I, I, before I was a I never once had anybody hate me until I became a pastor. No, nobody ever called me arrogant until I became a pastor. No, I never had my motives questioned or my integrity questioned until I became a pastor. I was totally unprepared for that. People I thought were my friends attacked us, betrayed us, hate us. I, I, had, I had no idea that was coming. And my brother was right. You better be ready to be alone. Listen to me. Look at me. You want to follow Jesus? You want to follow Jesus? You're going to pay for it. You want to, you want to live a Christ-like life? Do whatever he says, go wherever he goes? You're going to pay for it. Jesus, you know, Jesus never promises health and prosperity. That's, all, that's TV heresy. It's garbage. It's lies. It's not true. It's not in the Bible anywhere. He never promises that. You know what he says? He goes, he, he goes, here's a promise for you. Here's one for you. In this world, you will have trouble. Here's another one for you. This is straight from Jesus. People will hate you because of me. Oh, you're welcome. You want to go wherever God tells you to go and do whatever God tells you to do and say whatever God tells you to say? You're going to pay for it. It hurts. Ezra, Ryan, and Michelle, Ezra's wife, we were talking yesterday about, you know, I always say the good old days, and Ezra always reminds me that the good old days weren't that good. <laughs> and, and we were talking about like every 12 to 18 months over the history of the church. And I tell you, we all started tearing up. We all started looking at each other. I don't like talking about the good old days that much. They just hurt mostly. Not the person I used to be. You don't follow Jesus? You're going to pay for it. And God looked at Jeremiah and he told him that. You're going to pay for it. But listen, what I've called you to I will empower you for. Jeremiah, you, you're, a, you're a bronze pillar. You're an iron wall. You're, you're, they're going to be terrified of you. I will go with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to strand you. I'm going to empower you, and you're going to be alone. Sometimes we're lonely because we're the only one, and we feel I feel that. It's a real feeling, but is it true? Right? Because if God be for us, who can be against us? I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one, but I'm not by myself. I'm called to do it, but not in my own strength. I got to say what I, but I'm not spouting off my opinion. The, word, the Lord puts the words in my mouth through his scripture now. See how it works? I'm looking for the gentle whispers, reminded that God is with me. I'm empowered by God. I feel alone, but I'm really not. I feel like I can't do this, but God is with me through it all, right? Third guy I want to introduce you to is a guy named Paul. Paul, we call him the Apostle Paul a lot. Maybe you've heard us say that here at Grace. The Apostle Paul. 
Paul's a big deal. In fact, we, we probably study what Paul says more than anybody else in the whole Bible. So Jesus, Jesus started the church at this thing called the day of Pentecost. Paul is the one who explains it to us. So God spoke through Paul like he did the prophets, and Paul was an apostle. This is why he wrote a bunch of the Bible, and he's the one who explains the church and explains what it means to be, how to live as a Christ follower. So we look at his stuff all the time, right? So Paul was a big deal. Paul was lonely because of the longevity of what he had been through. So the minute Paul accepted Christ, he got rejected by all of his friends and family, so he had to leave one religion to, to be a Christ follower, and that religion immediately like, excommunicated him, cut him off. And they hated his guts. They were trying to kill him because he was following Christ instead of what they believed. Then what he did was he would go to all these towns to start churches, and he was almost always at odds with the Roman government because the gospel of Jesus is dangerous, and it upsets social order. And so as he was teaching the gospel of Jesus, like women and slaves are equal to their masters, that kind of stuff. Well, the Roman government got all honked off about that. So his old religion is trying to kill him. The Romans are trying to kill him. One time in the Bible, Paul makes a list. And he's like, he, he doesn't start it this way, but he could have. He could have said, I'm exhausted. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten, you know, 40 times minus one. I, I've, been, I've been cold. I've been naked. I've been hungry. I, I, I have been persecuted. I've been in jail. I got bit by a snake. Like he's just going through this whole list. And, and he, he is lonely. People have betrayed him. People have abandoned him. And he's kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired. He's absolutely wiped out. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you, you find Paul at this place. What he's doing is he keeps getting arrested by the Romans, and he keeps appealing his case. It's kind of how we would appeal up to the Supreme Court. He keeps doing that. So he goes through these trials, and he's there kind of making these defenses of his faith to these Roman government. And he's talking about that a little bit in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, and he, he says this to his friend Timothy that he's writing the book to, and he says, do your best to come to me quickly. If, Timothy, if you can get over here, man, I'm like shot. Do your best to come to me quick, quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, he deserted me. He was with me. He gone. If you can get over here, man, I, I am by myself. He says in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Me and Luke are here. We're lonely. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in the ministry. Throw Mark, throw Mark in the Honda Odyssey minivan. And if you guys could get over here, like we are out of gas. We are physically broken, spiritually exhausted, emotionally exhausted. If you can get over here, that would be great. Verse 14, Alexander, the metal worker, he did me great harm. That guy, I mean, the metal worker, the, that, you can't trust that guy. He, he betrayed me. He undercut me. He's destroying me. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to my support, my first trial, but everybody deserted me. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by my side, by my side, gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 21, do your best to get here before winter. <laughs> he, Paul is shot and he feels lonely. And you, you see, he, is this some fascinating? You see he, him taking the thoughts captive. He's following his own teaching because he's the one who wrote that too. And he's like, I feel alone because Demas, he bailed, right? But, but the Lord stood with me. I'm tired. I'm alone. But God, God is good. Luke's here. Gentle whispers. I see God didn't forsake me. But get Mark and get over here and do it by winter because we are out of gas. See? And what Paul did was something fascinating. When he felt alone and lonely, what he did was he asked God's people to come and help him. He asked God's people to come and help him. And when you're feeling alone, when you're feeling lonely, this is something God would say. Ask God's people to come and help you. 
This is what happens, guys. This is, this is, this is huge. So grab this. Ready? Pain is isolating. Pain is isolating. You ever, you ever been sick, had the flu or something? What do you want to be? Left alone. Give me the cable remote and leave, right? And I want to be left alone. Well, it, pain, physical pain's that way. Emotional pain's this way. When I'm in pain, I am going through that pain as an individual, and you can't relate to it. You can sympathize to, with it, but you can't actually relate to what I'm going through. If somebody's going through a hard time, don't ever say to them, I know exactly what you're going through. Don't ever say that. And if somebody says that to you, punch them in the face. You have my permission, <laughs> right? Because that's never true. You can sympathize with what I'm going through, but you don't know what I'm going through because you can't. When, when my mom died, I went through that pain, and that pain was mine and mine alone, Nobody had the relationship with my mother that I had. My siblings didn't have the same relationship with my mom that I had because my mom's a person, I'm a person. It's a unique thing. Now, they could sympathize. If your mom passed away, I would give you a hug and say, I love you, I'm so sorry, because I can sympathize, but I don't know the ins and outs of your life. It's a painful thing, and this is what happens. When, because that pain isolates me, if I feel lonely... I allow that isolation to deepen, and the more it deepens, the more lonely I feel, and it becomes a cycle that builds upon itself, and I'm totally removed from everybody. The, the darkest time in my life was when my parents died, bar none. And for, for those of you who don't know, my mom and dad lived with us. They lived with us for the last 10 years of their life. And so when my parents died, they, they were a part of every aspect of our life. We saw them all day, every day, ate together, celebrated together, everything we did together. My children don't remember life without my parents in their home with them. So when my dad died and my mom died 53 weeks to the day after my dad died, it, it was, a, it was a, a tearing apart of the fabric of a family. Not, not just it's like sad at Christmas because we don't see grandma, like our every day was destroyed. When we went through that, my dad died, it was incredibly hard, and we kind of got like the one-two punch with my mom. I couldn't process that well. I, I didn't, I really didn't know what to do about it. And, and I became, I, I got into some deep, deep pain, and it became very, very isolating for me. And, and I started to hurt, and when I hurt, I'm, I get angry. Right? When I'm lonely, I'm angry. When I'm frustrated, I'm angry. When I'm impatient, I'm angry. When I'm sad, I'm angry. When I'm afraid, I'm angry. When I'm angry, I'm angry. Like it all just comes out of, ah, right? Like I, I want to fight somebody, right? Where's the cat? And so you, you just kind of get that, and that's the way it was. And so that's what was happening in all the relationships around me. I was mad, mad at Heidi, mad at the kids for no reason. I was, I was mad at work at the office. I come in, and I, I just was so frustrated with the staff. I'm like, you, you just can't run anything without me. You can't make a decision. You're so immature. This is ridiculous. I can't stand you, Ryan. You know, you're just, like, ah. you're just mad about the whole thing. I was mad at you guys. Come to me. So your marriage is rough. Boo-hoo. Welcome to marriage. Right? That's what, that's like, that's what was going through my mind. I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking. So I was just mad the whole time, right? And, and that's what was going through my mind. And this is what happened. I would lay in bed at night angry, just so infuriated because I had this emotional pain in my, in my heart. And, and I would, my heart would race. I had, I never had a panic attack in my life, but I started having them. And I could feel like my pulse and my heart would race and my brain would, would hit on something and it would like, like a, a scratch CD. It would just skip. I become obsessive compulsive, just laying there infuriated. Heidi, I'm so mad at Heidi because she can sleep, jerk. And so you're just like, eh. And so I'm just angry. You don't care about me. You don't love me. I can't believe you're not comforting me. It's all going through my mind. I'm mad at everybody. And guess what I did? I said nothing. I never told Heidi I was upset. I never told like Ezra, Ryan, two of my closest friends in the, in the world. I never told them. I never told you. I never, I never told the elder. I never looked at the elders and said, hey, I think I need a break. I can't get my... I never said, I never said anything. I, I told no one. 
It got so bad. It was a me- If you guys had seen me at home, you would have never shown up and listened to me teach. It was a disaster. And it got so bad, I think the Lord, in a moment of clarity, intervened in my life. And I realized if I don't do something, I, at a minimum, I have to get out of ministry. I'm being such a hypocrite. My kids are going to hate the church and Jesus because I'm lying. At a minimum, I got to get out of ministry. At a maximum, I might lose my, my marriage over this. It was bad. So in a moment of clarity, you know what I did? I called out to God's people. I called my friend, Joey Johnson, Bishop Johnson, down the road, he pastors the house of the Lord. He's a dear friend. I called him up one day and I said, Bishop, I am in trouble. I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. Will you help me? I, can you get here by winter? Right? Can you get over here? I need you. And that man, he dropped everything. For, I, I would do anything for Bishop Johnson. He dropped everything and ran to my side. And we got together, and I think we had lunch, and, and he, I told him, my, I was like, Bleh! you know, here, here's all my story. Well, he just, if you know him, he just started di- diagnosing me. I was like, okay, okay. He's like, read this, read this, do that, do that. I was like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. He started pouring into my life. As I told him that I needed help, he started to help me. When he started to help me, I could turn to Heidi. I could communicate. Why are you so upset? If she asked me that question two months earlier, I would have said, because you're a jerk, Heidi. She asked me that question. I would literally say, I don't know. I have to think and like identify. Help me communicate with my kids. I started to talk to the staff. I started to tell the story here. And I started to call out to the people of God and say, I need, I'm, I'm lonely. I'm isolated. I need you. Right? Now listen, listen to me. Feeling that way is not a lack of faith. Well, you should have known, Dr. Bogue, that the Lord is always with you. No, I, I know what the book says. I, I I needed to hear from God. It didn't, the information, it's not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of knowledge. The apostle Paul cried out for help. Jesus cried out for help. When he was in the garden and lonely, the disciples fell asleep. He came down, he goes, couldn't you stay up with me for one hour, guys? I don't ask a lot. I always make lunch. You can't, can't you... So listen to me. If the Apostle Paul has to verbalize it, if our Lord and Savior verbalizes it, guess what you and I have to do? God surrounded me. I have the most amazing wife. They have the biography of her movie right now of her life. It's called Wonder Woman. Right? And so I have, a, I have an amazing wife. I have wonderful children. I have a great family. I have a wonderful elders and friends in the church. Here's the deal. God may have surrounded you with people, but here's the deal. Here's the catch. Nobody can read your mind. And when we're lonely, we want people to read our mind. You should know. I don't, how am I going to know? If you, if you loved me, you would, no, I, it's impossible. I'm not God. When we're lonely, we have to take the thoughts captive. What I feel is real, but it may not be true. I bring it in. What is God actually like? He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He's not going to abandon me. He's going to stand by my side. Right? I start to look for the whispers. Every good and perfect thing is from God. It's a, it's a reflection of his love from a friend to the scripture to a dog. It's part of his creation. It reflects his glory. 
The whispers are all around me. I love you. I'm with you. I haven't forgotten. Okay, don't get weird about it. Just see it for what it is. Okay? Then I allow myself to be empowered. Instead of God get me out of this, God give me courage in it. Give me endurance in it. Let me, let me grow in my depth of your love and knowledge in it. Okay? And then I have to communicate a little bit. I have to let people know I'm, I'm hurting. I'm lonely. I'm afraid. I, I just, I don't know, man. I'm just out of it right now. There's all kinds of ways that we say it. And when the first person is too dense and they don't get it, go tell the other person. And I'm not talking about tweeting it. Look me in the eye. I'm serious. I need, I need you to pray for me. I need, I need you to see how it works. Okay. And when we respond to a natural emotion that God created us to have, and we take it captive, lean into who Christ actually is, you might just be surprised how Christ, when we draw near to Jesus, he draws near to us. You might be surprised how he alleviates that pain, okay? All right. Then ask the band to come out. And uh, as they do, we just spend a few minutes praying. You know, think through, Heidi and I started doing this little thing, uh, we call them three a days. Think through three ways that God has expressed his love to you every day. I came to church today, they talked about exactly what I was feeling. That's an act of God, that's not a lucky thing, right? I got to look at Jeff for 45 minutes, you're welcome, that's... <laughs> The three of days, just hear those whispers, okay? Pray for courage. Maybe think of somebody you can talk to. Lean into God's people. Jesus, we love you. Help us. Lead us down this path, Lord. Pour our hearts out to you. We need your help. And thank you that you run to our side. We're never alone. Lord, help us to not live in a false guilt, to not live in a false shame. It's not what this is, but to live in the freedom and the joy and the truth of who you are. And these still moments, God, press all this into our hearts in a deep and personal way. In your name, Jesus, amen.